I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Really with Tom and Dave. Hello, Hi, Dave. Tom. How are you doing? How, how is your house above water? We are still above water, uh, just a, a block away from mm-hmm. each other, actually. Well, funny. I'm a little farther now because I'm, oh, I'm at Where? the new place out in Sherman Oaks. Oh, okay. That's All right. Fair. Well, so, so I can further. canoe. I can canoe to you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if and necessary. Of course, of course, we're setting our we're setting the podcast in in the time. So it's this is people in LA will know that this is. This was during the the uh, monsoons. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, that we we're recording this because it'll be as we have become the Philippines yeah, apparently I mean, in terms of weather, uh, tropical yeah. weather, which yeah. is uh, I don't I don't mind it. I mean, well, I keep saying like you know the, the troubles the uh, the uh, I guess in the Pacific they're called typhoons, aren't they? Not hurricanes, or are they call hurricanes. Or uh, I think typhoons are. Yeah, are the hurricanes on the other side of the world? So they are, and they are gradually moving up the west coast. You know, like Mexico's getting them now. So in, in a few mm-hmm. years, uh, you know, we'll get them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's you know, that's uh, that's climate change for you. Yeah. Whatever it's doing. I mean, we I did. prefer this to burning yeah. down the state. I I mean, we yeah. had several years in a row of of fire weather. Which yeah, is well, not yeah. nearly as fun as like winter weather. Like snow is far more enjoyable than when it's raining fire and, yeah. you know, and like the 405 is burning down. So I'll, I'll take water over mm-hmm. fire and snow over fire. Call me yeah. nuts. Yeah. But uh, it seems to be at least an improvement, uh, you know, hydration wise. There's no more drought. So I don't know. You know, yeah. well, you know I, I blame the dinosaurs. They you polluted know. the ground with yeah, their they filled the ground with their with bodies, their, their rotting bodies. Yeah, and, and it's well, their fault. we're we're supposed to say, oh no, we're not going to burn it. No, mm-hmm. yeah. that's not the way. We they were. left it. No. They left themselves here. So no. uh, what else? So what else is happening? Uh, you're you're what's going on with you? Let's get uh, a quick rundown because we have a cool guest, and I want to. I want to get a good day down. Nothing. You want to get on? Nothing much going on with me. I'm just I'm just been ducking the rain and hanging with my dogs, and uh, that's about it. Then let's fucking rock and roll, because uh, we, we have a really we have a what are you looking a, at? I have a faulty light in here. So oh, I thought you had like a visitation. 
No, I thought that I was I thought be... I was having a stroke, but it's just a light. <laughs> but we just do have do a great guest, air. wonderful guest, and I'll let I'll I'll let you do the uh, the intro. Oh, let me do the honors. Yeah. Um, well, really, audience, Ernest Klein is an internationally best-selling novelist and screenwriter. He is the author of the novels Ready Player One and Armada, uh, also Ready Player Two, and the co-screenwriter of the film adaptation of Ready Player One, directed by a young man named Steven Spielberg. His work has been published in 58 countries and has spent more than 100 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. He lives in Austin, Texas, where I believe he's joining us from now. And also, and also, also Ernie is also uh, a lot of fun to hang out with in Austin, if you ever get the chance. I, I recommend everyone who has ever read his book, go to Austin and hang out with him. <laughs> also kind of you to say. I have a book signing coming up. They can come hang out with me there. I'll be available to the public. Yeah, that is. Well, listen, before we get into UFOs and UA, all that stuff, sure. I just as a fan, everybody's got to read Ready Player One. It, it's uh, it's really just an, an imagination grenade. It it's, takes my like childhood toy box and just dumped it out. And it's just a wonderful adventure. Wow. So and also just a terrific um, just kind of snapshot of the culture uh, at the time, and I'm like, what, what, what inspired that? What, where did it start? How did it start for you? What was the, um, well, I, what was the inspiration? Well, I, I was a huge nerd, and uh, given the same name as a popular Muppet on Sesame Street, so I had like a uh, that kind of defined my childhood, uh, being uh, a weird kid, an outcast and, um, uh, obsessed with science fiction from an early age, from like around five when I saw star Wars and then six, when I saw close encounters, like science fiction, uh, uh, became my obsession. So, um, uh, I think I was one dreamt of, I was also a huge, uh, fan of science fiction novels and, um, uh, as well as films and, and love Stephen King as well. And kind of always dreamt of being a novelist uh, and, but uh, dreamt of being a screenwriter even more once I found out that that was a job making up uh, stories for the movies. So, um, you know, like uh, you, well, why you could do that for work, uh, go uh, uh, make my favorite thing ever. So that kind of became my obsession. I, I had a screenplay produced and that experience was so crushing uh, <laughs> that it made me rethink whether or not I wanted to be a screenwriter. I had only made two movies and I've had like the polar opposite, like traditional worst experience you could ever have where the movie gets shelved and then taken away from the director and new stuff shot. Producers were Kevin Spacey and Harvey Weinstein. It was like Ooh, somebody. Designed... Look at that to some. Wow. I know those were the producers of, of fanboys, which started out was going to be my clerks. I wrote it to be, uh, I was really inspired by Rick Linklater and Robert Rodriguez and Kevin Smith, these guys who used the resources they had to make a small little movie. And uh, and Star Wars was a huge thing for me. And there had been no Star Wars for like 17 years uh, between Return of the Jedi coming out in 1983 and then episode one, The Phantom Medicine, 1999. And that made me want to... Um, uh, tell that story. My mom had just passed away also. So I was kind of escaping into Star Wars and obsessing about this 
new Star Wars movie for the it was I think it was the most anticipated movie in the history of cinema. I think oh, it had to be. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're oh, gonna have people lining up, even though they didn't need to line up. They lined up just for the communal experience of lining up to see a new Star Wars movie because they've been waiting. 17 years. That was my tagline that I put on the script is they've been waiting for 17 years. They're true waiting mm -hmm. fanboys. Yeah. Uh, and that's yeah. my first attempt to write a screenplay that could actually get produced with budget and in mind. And it ended up getting made. Uh, eventually it, uh, it didn't get made. I wanted to try to make it back when uh, it was set in 1998 before the new star Wars movie came out, but it didn't get made until about 10 years later. And then it was kind of a period period piece, but uh, it ended up getting through weird, just timing. It ended up getting made with the permission of Lucasfilm. Uh, we got access to the entire library. We were allowed to use the Star Wars license in this little oh my uh, indie movie. And uh, and it's got Carrie Fisher in it, uh, uh, Billy D. Williams, Darth Maul, <laughs> Ray Park, uh, uh, William Shatner. I'm actually in a scene in William Shatner. It was my first time being in a movie. I got to be an extra in my own movie. And I, I uh, signed up to be one of the Star Trek uh, uh, nerd extras at this scene in Vegas with William Shatner, just so I could be on the set with William Shatner, who got paid to be yeah. for, I think, one day. Uh, that was the big day on the set that Shatner <laughs> was there. But I'm in a scene with William Shatner because so it was a bittersweet experience. But then once we shot that movie, it sat on the shelf for two years and it got tinkered with. And the version that got released theatrically is kind of compromised. And that was so such a crushing experience. Uh, that I was like, you know, maybe I want to be a novelist instead of a screenwriter where I don't need uh, uh, anybody else's permission or money to tell my story. And I could just tell my story directly uh, uh, to the audience and geek out as much as I want, drill down as deep into nerd culture as I want to go and not have anybody tell me they're not, they don't get it or to cut it or so that's, you know, that's what I did. And uh, the idea, uh, I finally get around to answering your question about uh, Ready Player One. No, it's, but that's, that's a good answer. That's up the stage for writing Ready Player yeah. One. Yeah. And in the midst of all that happening, um, uh, um, and this idea that I had had uh, that was the genesis of Ready Player One was what if Willy Wonka had been a video game designer instead of a candy maker? That's nice. He, like he held his golden ticket contest inside a, uh, his greatest video game creation, which could be the coolest video game ever made. Like if Willy Wonka was a game designer, what would his, and it would be the coolest, it would be the one video game to rule them all that contained mm -hmm. every video game. And uh, I had grown up reading Neuromancer and Snow Crash and uh, loving uh, cyberpunk science fiction and also movies like Brainstorm. You guys ever see Brainstorm? Chris oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. so good. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. And Strange yeah. Days is another great and uh, the early lawnmower, uh, lawnmower yeah. Man. Yes. Oh, well, Lawnmower Man, I actually <laughs> – I enjoyed the – there's a director's cut of Lawnmower Man that's not too bad. Oh, yeah. Even I was, I was, he I made I ushered Lawnmower Man. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> what about Lawnmower Man Two, starring Matt Frewer? Uh, oh uh, no, I didn't oh, see that. Oh right. no, yeah, going deep. We're going deep. I was, out of, I was out of the ushering game by then. Yeah. Anybody who wants to watch Lawnmower Man Two can see Matt Frewer doing Max Headroom uh, riffs. It's good. Yep. Good stuff. Anyway, so um, and that was the genesis of Ready Player One. I got that idea actually back in two thousand one, and uh, and worked on it off and on for. Eight or nine years. It wasn't until after my uh, first kid was born that I was like, oh, man, I really need to finish this book. Uh, and it was like a, I worked in computers and IT uh, during all those years, which is a subject matter that's in the book. But uh, I had to go. I'd be in front of a computer all day and then have to go at home and make myself get back in front of a computer to spend more time writing and on the weekends. So it was slow going. And I wrote a bunch of screenplays, uh, many of them not produced during that time uh, as well. Uh, but then finally finished Ready Player One and sold it in, in 
in 2010. And then everything you could ever want to happen to you when you <laughs> write your first novel happened to happen to me to the point where I was like, okay, this is just, uh, uh, the people running the simulation are not doing a good job. Yeah. You're like, everybody <laughs> knock it off here. Knock it off people. <laughs> and no, the wonderful one has become is it has become what uh like when I was a young man what nineteen eighty four was as nineteen eighty four the year nineteen eighty four was approaching <laughs> right where it was the shorthand people would say you know if they want to talk about the surveillance state they would just say you know how close are we to nineteen eighty four is nineteen eighty four really going to be like nineteen eighty four and that's yeah. like every everything about the you know the uh you know the the simulation and virtual world, <laughs> it's a question every journalist they always the shorthand is always how close are we to ready player one yeah uh which is not something when you write dystopian science fiction you don't want that to come true like less than 10 years after you yeah yeah <laughs> publish the book i had a timeline out to like 2045 you know there's a good chance i wouldn't be around <laughs> to see if the <laughs> you know my vision had come true but now it's all you know, in the in this past uh, month, actually, has been the craziest of all, seeing them roll out the Apple Vision Pro, uh, where they st not only stole design elements, uh, like yeah. the blue stuff on the headset, that's like our poster, like Ty's yeah. face, uh, and then stealing the shot. They, st they flat out, for their launch video, they flat out stole a shot from Ready Player One uh, of the 360 degree going around the headset and then going in, logging into the Oasis. They... Uh, I heard through the grapevine from people who worked at that ad agency that that was their that was their intention was to steal from Ready yeah, Player One. So it, well, if, it, if it's intended, it then it's an homage and not theft. Right, uh, <laughs> it's true. But the um, I think even the name Apple Vision Pro is uh, intended to sound like Ready Player One. Two syllables, two syllables, one syllable. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it, but yeah. it seems like uh, <laughs> it seems like they're intentionally trying to riff on this expectation that Steven created by making this movie. And the most popular filmmaker uh, and one of the most popular science fiction filmmakers of all time makes a, a, a movie about virtual reality in the metaverse, then that automatically becomes the shorthand for yeah. how a lot of people in, 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 imagine it. So I'm so blessed and it's crazy. And it's the simulations. Yeah. Not and I think most, most people probably know Steven Spielberg best from uh, Sugarland Express. Um, <laughs> but he's or, made other movies. Yeah. He has since then. Has, a lot of people don't know that he went on from there. Always. Anybody? Always. Yeah. Really cool. yeah. yeah. About Funny. the afterlife. Uh, uh, can you describe the feeling when he calls up and says, I mean, or does he call up and say, I'm going to direct you? I mean, what is that oh, well, feeling? This is crazy. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, it's the coolest uh, ever. And when I, you know, there was a time. When I was on the set, you know, I would get up, wake up at a hotel and I'm going to go to the set and hang out with Steve Spielberg while he makes my movie today. Uh, that, that, was more, that, was, that was many days of my life where I got to have that uh, experience and go around. They also shot a bunch of hot behind the scenes stuff with me. So I got to visit every department and geek out on everything. It was just a, uh, it was like a dream come true. And then it, uh, they premiered it here in Austin at South by Southwest. Uh, and the whole cast and crew and Steven all came to Austin. They like built a big version of the set, uh, like an interactive Ready Player One experience downtown here in my town. And then they premiered the movie here. Uh, and I got to drive my DeLorean down and, you know, hang out with Ben Mendelsohn at the premiere. And it was on my birthday. Oh, my God. <laughs> the movie came out on my birthday uh, uh, just because because Star Wars took our, our release date in uh, December. So they bumped it. And they're like, well, we're going to have to move it to March. And it's going to be on March 29th. And I'm like, oh, so... Every poster of Ready Player One has my birthday on it at the bottom. <laughs> it's crazy. Wow. 
Yeah, awesome. I know. It's That's, great. Good for you. That's it, just fucking yeah. cool. That's just damn cool. And both those cars behind you drive? They do. I uh, drove uh, this one. Um, this one was the one that I bought uh, when I sold Ready Player One. I'd always wanted to have a DeLorean, and I knew I was going to go on a book tour. I'm like, oh, I could get a time machine from the 80s, which is kind of what my book is, and then drive you know, this iconic 80s time machine across the country on my book tour. So I drove that car all the way across the country. Uh, and then when, um, excuse me, when uh, the paperback came out, I had a contest where I gave away a DeLorean and that was this other car uh, that I gave away in a, uh, to a guy who set the new world record in Joust. I did a, a contest with three different video game challenges where I, uh, to kind of recreate the, uh, the story of the book uh, when the paperback came out in the summer of 2012 and I gave away this car, this, this car. Uh, but the guy who owned it for five or six years, he, uh, he had like four kids. It's not a very practical car, two seater. Uh, he didn't have a place to store it. So he told me, yeah, he was still going to sell it. And I, uh, uh, since I had driven that car on my paperback tour, I, and it was the ready player one contest car. I decided to go ahead and buy it back and mm -hmm. turn it into a star Wars car. So, uh, these are my days, Lorians, my wife calls them the days, Lorians. Um, uh, it's, uh, uh, and so, yeah, so I think they're gonna, I have two kids, so I think each kid's going to get a DeLorean. I don't think I could ever uh, get rid of them. This one now is becoming an R2, R2 spot could hold one child. Yes. Is R2 still yeah. connected? The, um, uh, thing about this car was that, uh, it was already a Star Wars car before the Mandalorian came out and then the Mandalorian came out and I was yeah. like, oh, I have to turn it into the Mandalorian DeLorean. So nice. it's a work in progress. <laughs> Well, you know, if you yeah, get can we talk about UFOs, I've been yeah. dying. To <laughs> yeah. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna blast off do a UFO. UFO DeLorean. Well, if you get a third DeLorean and you don't have a third kid, feel free to adopt me. Right? Okay. Right. Well, the trade DeLoreans. Uh, yeah. I, first thing, Dave. All right. For those listening <laughs> at home and not watching us on our YouTube channel, uh, Ernie has two really f fucking cool DeLoreans in Checked his out. garage here that we're that we're looking at. In case everybody's Thank like, you. "What the hell's going on?" Yeah. And one, cars, and one, but... one has R two D two in the back. Yes, and yes, speaking, speaking yeah. of UFOs, I, do we think Stephen is read in on uh, what do we think there? Yeah, Come on, get, honestly, yeah. what do we think? You know, I think he's probably like Bryce Zabel. I think he, you know. Uh, has had people uh, – well, I think that there are intelligence agencies embedded in all the major media and in every single movie studio going back to the 50s. And, <laughs> uh, uh, I really think that they've uh, made a concerted effort, starting with the day the earth stood still onward, to use film to influence public opinion and maybe brace people uh, uh, because different think tanks have told them, hey, you need to uh, be worried about this. Uh, this is a, a game changer. So – I think um, uh, I'm fascinated with that. I'm fascinated with the uh, 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 being such a cinephile. Uh, I love tracing the history of UFOs in cinema and how they're them and aliens and interdimensional beings and how uh, I have a whole actually stack of movies that I brought uh, in case you guys want to talk movies of movies sure. that have, I think, accidental truth. Uh, yeah. Uh, hidden in them. Uh, one of them being the day there stood still. There are actually leaked CIA documents that uh, where I think a Reagan briefing document where they're in a briefing Ronald Reagan, which if you guys haven't read that, uh, it's like Ronald Reagan at Camp David. Uh, I talked with Christopher Mellon about this document and he read it and he said, I've been in a lot of meetings like that. And to me, it read like the real, 
real thing. Yeah. It's a bunch of guys oh, that can't pay. That. Oh. oh, it's really, I've, I have a copy I will send to you gentlemen, um, uh, but everyone is able to find it. I think it was maybe leaked to Linda Moulton Howe, um, but uh, mm-hmm. it's really great reading. If, if it's fake, it's some of the best writing <laughs> of Ronald Reagan I've ever seen. And it, uh, uh, and there's just all these pauses while they check everybody's security clearances every time they uh, change the subject. But it was, I think, somebody within one of the classified black programs briefing Ronald Reagan. They decided to let the Gipper in on the... Mm-hmm. So I think they let the Gipper in, but I don't know if they let Steven in. I think he, um, you know, I don't know that he would want to know. I think he would maybe get a, not want to get involved with, a, <laughs> yeah. with the military. I know that the, the Air Force wrote him a letter when they found out he was developing Close Encounters uh, that is in the Amblin archives. I uh, uh, never worked up the courage to ask to read it, but the Air Force um, uh, sent him a letter asking him not to make uh, Close Encounters and not to make a popular subject, uh, not make UFOs a popular subject because it would make their job of, you know, because they weren't real, it would make his job, their job harder. Uh, uh, and he, I remember him saying, uh, that is when I knew I was onto something like they wouldn't have done this. They would come out of their way to like, try to stop me from making this movie. Um, mm-hmm. if, uh, if I wasn't onto something. So that's how often how you get your confirmation is like watching, <laughs> watching how they behave around a certain topic, uh, and whether yeah. or not they try to suppress it. Yeah. Well, he was getting some, he was getting advice at least from, uh, Heinick and Jacques Vallée, though, right? Yeah. On, when uh, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, and Jacques Vallée was on the set. There's a, uh, I think in one of the Forbidden Science books, Jacques Vallée talks about his experience and him trying to uh, tell Stephen that he believed it was they were more likely probably interdimensional and maybe not from some other uh, planet. But Stephen's like, well, people expect aliens from another planet. And I'm trying to give people what they expect, not some uh, mm-hmm. uh, surprise. And, yeah, but, you don't want to get esoteric. With some, yeah. That's true. But, I uh, love that Jacques Vallée was thinking that even back in the 70s, he was kind of that that feels like that's become a more, you know, recent kind of popular notion that but it it isn't. It's obviously it's, you know, 40, 50 years, you know, it goes back yeah. the, this idea that we are not dealing with something that's taken a long trip on a spaceship to come, you know, fuck up a few cows and yeah. then head on back. You know, this is something I a think little closer to home. I think it's probably beings from another dimension and also beings coming. They've been tracking these things uh, ever since the Russians had satellites and, and radar mm-hmm. in space. We see these things come from deep space, zooming down to earth and then zooming back out. And as soon as we had radar, we were seeing them all the time too. If the, I mean, some of them appear and disappear like they're coming from another dimension, but yeah, I think it's, I think they could be coming from other planets, from other dimensions, um, from everywhere all at once time yeah. travelers as well. Like it could be this crazy men in black thing where you're dealing with, like several different overlapping uh, phenomenon, or it's just all a simulation and there's a puppet master like running SimCity 9000 uh, and just, oh, let's fuck with them this way to see what happens. Like uh, it could be any number uh, uh, of things. But I tend to think like looking at all the research I've done into the uh, phenomenon with, with you know, now accepting that Poltergeist, you know, Stephen go- uh, ghost directed Poltergeist. I don't know if you know this. It's credited to Toby Hooper, but Stephen was yeah. the one directing the actors. And oh no, uh, I didn't. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. Again, another movie I ushered. Um, oh oh yeah, <laughs> Poltergeist was a man uh, yeah, was a traumatizing film for a little kid with scary trees outside your window. Holy crap! Yeah. Fucking clown under uh, the bed. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. but uh, I've heard people say he's even more on the money in Poltergeist. Uh, with based on factual stuff than um, Close Encounters, which was based on a bunch of all factual 
slightly. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. that. Because that's the weird thing is, is is how much overlap there is between all of these phenomena. Um, right. And, uh, you, know, you guys, you know, I realize you guys must be so excited to have an actual Sasquatch cryptid on your show for the first time. With Great. luxurious beard and hair. You never, <laughs> you're funny. Right. You're it's like moment. To do that yeah. film. Yeah. I mm. don't realize how unruly my beard has gotten until I get on yeah. in front of a laptop. But, but um, it, looks very, it looks very soft. That's thing. Nice. It's I, yeah. you know, I just got a water softener, so maybe that's it. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> yeah. um, looking but, good. Thank you. Yeah, but you're, well, I guess we were talking about the, the you know, the, the films because you talked about like that there were there were programs to try and um, direct culture. I guess you know one of yeah. the we talked about oh. and is the the Robertson panel. Well, uh, yeah, well, the CIA. So, so you guys know Donald Kehoe, super badass. Yeah. Yeah. is like the proto George Knapp. Like I have such respect for Donald Kehoe. I call it, if you have the balls to stand up to the military industrial complex, that's having solid brass Kehones. Like that's what I call it. Like if you have Kehones, then you're like at the level of, of uh, yeah. major Donald Kehoe who um, uh, had written a book called the flying saucers are real. Uh, where it called out the Air Force and said, they're lying to you, treating like children. The truth is these planet, they think these, you know, vehicles are interplanetary and they're gaslighting you. Like the first guy to stand up and say that and publish books uh, about that in Hollywood. So they used Hollywood to discredit Donald Kehoe. Not only did they cut him off when he was on with Mike Wallace uh, one night, but he uh, uh, also had written The Flying Saucers Are Real and I think another book called Flying Saucers from Outer Space. And they optioned that uh, book from him, making him think they were going to make a documentary, and then they turned it into Earth versus the Flying Saucers mm. uh, with uh, Ray Harryhausen, uh, awesome Mars Attacks riffs on Earth versus the Flying Saucers a lot. With the Flying Saucers smashing into the Washington Monument is a, mm. a steal from Earth versus Earth, Earth versus the Flying Saucers is great, um, but it was uh, partly I think funded by uh, a government effort to discredit Donald Kehoe because they made a science fiction film out of his nonfiction book. Uh, and he tried to have his name removed from it unsuccessfully. So like, uh, that's another Hollywood film, I think, that has its ties to helping cover up and discredit the UFO phenomenon. Um, uh, and one of the biggest, the, that and, and uh, War of the Worlds, which Stephen uh, remade, but the original George Powell version uh, came out just... Uh, this is that's what's fascinating to me is is the day the earth stood still is um, four years what is that five years after Roswell uh, mm -hmm. and uh, there's also um, the thing from another world the Howard Hawks yes it's remade by John Carpenter yes so that's I like mean, four years after yeah. Roswell and th and those are two major A list directors Robert Wise and Howard yeah. Hawks guys also guys who made propaganda guys who had made propaganda films uh, during World War II. And had With intelligence camera, ties, yeah. and hey, like the kind of guys you could nudge and say, "Hey, do a favor for the U.S. Navy." You know, post World War II, I think they would have uh, uh, they would have been on board. To uh, or you could just throw money. All you all you have to do to get a movie made is find a script, make the script, and throw money at it, and it'll get made. You know, especially in the nineteen fifty. So the thing from another world is like four years after Roswell, and it's got a crashed flying saucer in the ice. Uh, I was just watching it the other night because uh, uh, I hadn't seen it in many years. And I'm, it's crazy. They actually get a, like, we found a flying saucer. We finally got one is what they say. When they find it in the ice, they all line up on the edge of it to see what the shape is. And they're all standing in a circle. I'm like, 
We finally got one. We found a flying yeah. saucer. This is like four years after they Air Force says in the press that they found one. Yeah, so that was, I, that was their original press release pretty much. Yeah, we finally got one. Yeah, we found one. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then whoops, they were getting calls from everywhere. Two people in Roswell had like at the radio station and in the uh, phone switching office, they had even in 1947, they had the ability to cut in on radio broadcasts and on telephone conversations. Like people had their telephone conversations out of Roswell interrupted and said, you shouldn't be talking about this. Like, oh, wow. And, I didn't know. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. And that uh, crazy. Uh, radio broadcasts. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pretty wild. Um, uh, who knows what... Uh, who knows what capabilities yeah. they've had this whole, uh, uh, this whole throughout this whole phenomenon and with their ability to, well, it's like what you guys were talking with George about uh, after he uh, puts a call out to everybody in Las Vegas, you know, after Bob Lazar is like, Hey, if you know, if you work up at area 51, you know, some stuff uh, like immediately George's phone at like a CBS affiliate in Las Vegas, like being tapped and monitored everything that they say, like that paranoia that Steven built in ET like the, whenever the bad guys are closing in in ET, it's always a shot of government guys like with scanners and metal detectors like sweeping through the forest, and then they get closer to Elliot's house, and then eventually they're inside Elliot's house. There's like a scene where there's a, an extension cord that gets pulled pulled taut against a chair in the wall because they're that's how deep into Elliot's house <laughs> the government yeah. has gone yeah. uh, is that the end of their extension cord. Um, uh, I think Stephen, he did it in Close Encounters as well. Close Encounters and E.T., there's this theme of the government cover-up and the government coming in and taking over the situation and blocking it off and, you know, defibbing yeah. E.T. and and uh, <laughs> yeah. not helping him and uh, uh, sampling his DNA, all of that. Uh, as I like, was sobbing into my popcorn, sobbing yeah. into my popcorn. My wife, yeah. my wife never saw the end of E.T. because she was so upset. Um, it's my, well, my dark secret. She never finished and, watching ET. Her parents had to take her out. She was so upset when ET died. She didn't make it. Yeah. Well, uh, again, and then when I was trying to get her to rewatch it, she was timing it from the time that ET died to the time you find ET is back alive. It's a long, he, he plays that a long time. And she was maybe a little too young to see. Uh, well, <laughs> Kevin McDonald from Kids in the Hall and I, we were, again, movie ushers when ET was out, the two of us. And, we, wow. and, when, and for the entire run of ET, part of our job was, Parents would come out with crying kids, and we would and, and we would say, and we would basically say, if you want to leave your kid, you can leave your kids with us. It was a more innocent time. What and on earth were they thinking? Their, people would leave. Oh. People would leave their kids with us, and we'd get them Reese's Reese's pieces. Wow! And they the crying kids would sit with us, and the parents could go back in and watch the rest of the movie. Wow! You should have been. I'm on the ET Blu-ray for the 40th anniversary, talking about my experience with ET. You got. You should have been on there. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> <laughs> Tell the other side. I didn't. I told them about my wife, but they did leave that story in. I think we don't yeah. want to talk about all the kids who are traumatized by ET. You know who else I think is being was probably insanely traumatized by ET. Your last guest, Whitley. Oh, Whitley. Streamer. <laughs> like, can you imagine all the people who? There was a rash of people when Whitley's book came out with that picture of the gray alien. People mm. freaking out uh, in yeah. Walden books <laughs> all across oh, North yeah. America because they'd never seen a picture of this thing uh, before. Gary Nolan yeah. was one of them. Uh, yes, who, like, yeah. It, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so I think, can you imagine then the biggest movie of all time comes out and it's a kid befriending this alien, bringing him into his bedroom you know, like feeding them vegetables and playing Atari. <laughs> like, yeah. like, uh, 
Uh, and I, you can see why people would think if they were getting abducted or having stuff had stuff like that actually happen to them, you you would see this movie uh, and think, oh my god, they're trying to program us to love these things and think that yeah. they're you know along with Mac and me just at the chair. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, trying to program us to love these aliens um uh i don't know but i don't think i think steven yeah. i think steven was just following his own fascination with the subject as a storyteller and wanting to uh you know uh popularize the subject which he did i always marveled yeah. at the design of et because it was not like a cuddly like it's not a cuddly design i mean the initial sort it takes you a minute to adjust to the sort of, <laughs> diff, oh. you know, the alien quality of the E.T. design. I mean, yes, he had big, warm, wet eyes that were, of course, yeah. you know, very, like, emotional. But that design was weird. You know, oh, it was you like... You want to see, like, even creepier, that it was originally called Dark Skies. Uh, there was an earlier version of E.T. that was based on the Kecksburg incident, which is that family uh, in Kecksburg, Oklahoma, wherever Kecksburg was, uh, getting terrorized mm -hmm. by little goblins and fighting them with shotguns for hours. Right. Famous yes. Yeah. So that was, that was actually going to be the basis for what was E.T. Uh, and they did early designs. I think it was called Dark Skies. You can like, Google Dark Skies uh, unproduced Steven Spielberg, and you'll see early designs of E.T. that is like a mean, angry E.T. And I think when they were actually working on E.T. 2, a potential sequel, they were using some uh, ideas from, from Dark Skies. But yeah, there was a, a, a Stephen before he was doing ET. He was developing a much darker horror movie about aliens attacking a family <laughs> mm -hmm. in the in the woods, which is you know. Uh, but I think he he did enough of that in Close Encounters. Man, when yeah. they're coming for Troy, uh, what is uh, uh, the little boy uh, Gary? Uh, that has very poltergeist elements in it too. The abduction scene in Close Encounters, where the grates are flying yeah. open and the screws are coming out, and yeah, there's weird. That's very scary. Yeah. yeah, very traumatizing, but riveting. I couldn't stop watching. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and I guess as M Night Shyamalan eventually made the, <laughs> yes. the, that other version of ET. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. Well, this was a good. Did you guys ever see uh, Invaders from Mars? Oh yes, yes. Oh, so this was remade uh, also by Toby Hooper. Uh, yeah, directed a remake of this, but the original one I think was 1953. Uh, and the little boy, uh, uh, the the actor who played the little boy in the original Invaders from Mars, he had a UAP sighting like five or six years later after being in the oh, movie, really? like in his neighborhood. Yeah, I saw an interview with him when I was researching Invaders from Mars. But the original Invaders from Mars is has been used by uh, some people to try to discredit alien abductions because there's some elements of alien abductions happen later depicted in Invaders from Mars, like a needle in the back of the neck and uh, people getting, uh, uh, but I don't, I don't uh, uh, buy any yeah. of that. But I know it's it's fascinating way both movies are like after Close Encounters came out, they use Close Encounters as a, as a as a way to discredit people. Like, oh, you saw Close Encounters, so now you thought you saw a flying saucer. Like you've been watching, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, as opposed as as opposed to Close Encounters being based on actual accounts, <laughs> it, it's true. You know, uh, what, you know, chicken and egg thing. And it's also that weird thing with debunkers where if they can if they can find any flimsy thing to tie to any element of a story, then they believe yes. they've debunked the entire story. So it's like, well, oh, they the needle in the neck. Well, there you go. That's that's <laughs> that's what those uh that's what those uh, that couple in uh yeah. coming back from Montreal. Peters and Mars. Let me yeah. tell you about an interesting connection between close encounters and Project Serpo. You guys ever heard of Project Serpo? 
I've that rings a bell, but I don't know what uh, it is. So George told me all about it when it was first coming out. I think it was in the aughts, uh, uh, maybe the late nineties, the aughts. These documents started getting sent to from anonymous accounts, possibly Richard Doty, uh, um, mm. uh, to a bunch of U- UFO websites, uh, and it was a whole bunch of documents describing a uh, mission to another planet called Serpo. Uh, conducted in secret by the U.S. government with a list of all the supplies they took and what they their interaction with the people on the other planet. It's like a science fiction story, Project Serpo. Uh, mm-hmm. And it stretched, you know, but and it shares a lot of elements with Close Encounters. Uh, uh, people would point out like, well, this sounds a lot like Close Encounters. And, uh, and the logic was, oh, Close Encounters, they embedded this story in Close Encounters because there's the people in red in Close Encounters who are, waiting to go on the ship at the end. Right, right. Mm-hmm. The only, Roy Neary is the only one I think that gets taken, but there are these other people preparing to... Mm-hmm. The uh, team, to, yeah. You see them yeah. praying. They don't, I don't think they actually <laughs> ever get to go. But that story of a, a group of ambassadors going to another planet um, uh, was barred for this Project Serpo. And the crazy thing about Project Serpo is buried in all this science fiction bullshit is stuff about layered bismuth, magnesium and titanium at the micron level that uh metamaterials stuff mm-hmm. it's in how put off research that we just found out a few years ago with eric davis like the the stuff that you shoot terahertz energy through it and it apparently floats that stuff is mentioned in project serpo uh this stuff that was leaked and i asked lou elizondo and Hal put off why this was like why is this stuff about your research in the layered and they both told me, well, some, oh, yeah, like, oh, like you caught us. Uh, like um, sometimes when people want something to come out, they'll bury it in the midst of of uh, a bunch of bullshit uh, leak uh, just to get it out there so that if it does come out, then it's part of a whole bullshit story that no one will believe. So you bury yeah. the truth that you know is probably going to come out uh, in a mount of uh, bullshit. So when it does come out, it will get traced to this mountain of bullshit and not to the yeah, True. and and you and you can also use the the bullshit to trace who who's been yes. propagating the story. Who's setting it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so once I found that out, that just all creeped me out. Like, just uh, it's part because it's part of the mind games, right? That they've been playing yeah. with us, gaslighting well, us all this time. And like, yeah. yeah. What was the documentary about Richard Doty called? Um, remember Mirage Men? Is Mirage Men. Yeah. yeah. That was, uh, uh, for, for people that don't know, that's about the program too. Too deliberately uh, spread disinformation and and discredit people and or that drive some people insane. Well, just uh, one. That's just the one that, yeah. that people yeah. uh, know about Richard Doty. Like, and I think yeah. that that he was he was Air Force intelligence, right, Doty? Yeah. Um, but clearly, the CIA had their own uh, yeah. up to shenanigans. The FBI and and sometimes they're communicating and sometimes not. The different military branches are like fighting over whoever gets to the crashed UFO first is the one who gets to keep it. The army gets one, the navy gets one. It's so screwed up. They don't. They, and they wouldn't even share amongst themselves before they finally, eventually, get squirreled away in um, uh, uh, aerospace companies. Um, wild stuff. You guys, send me off on a tangent. No, it's a good <laughs> tangent because I was going to ask, like, you know, we because we can sort of track this sort of, um, you know, cultural suppression of the phenomenon in the sense of of nothing to see here. This is this is your, you know, fiction, all this stuff. And now we're in a place I'd characterize as kind of schizophrenic. I mean, I'm interested in what your 
what your feeling is because you're not just an enthusiast. You've researched this deeply. You've you've talked with all these folks. You've you, like, yeah, you know, and the tension we see in government. Are we? What are we seeing? What do you? What is your sense of what we're seeing publicly and what's going on behind the scenes privately? Is it slow disclosure happening in a in a purposeful fashion, or is this a disorganized, chaotic? What's what's what right. is your take well, on what's happening right now? It seems to me like two different factions, and maybe the third faction now is the Congress, who's been alerted. But there's the faction, the old school factions, like no, we need to keep this shit a secret as long as possible because we're all going to end up in Leavenworth. <laughs> and the other is like, no, uh, enough is enough, boomers. Like this is finally going to come out whether you guys want it to come out, and we're going to make it come out whether you want it to or not. I think that's what's happening you know uh partly but it's like it boils down to like a few people like lou elizondo uh uh and christopher mellon christopher mellon is like a unique like super genius smart guy who also has the family name and the uh uh history his own history to know what's bullshit and what's not and a, like rock solid bullshit detector and is the one guy in government just calling them on everything every lie like eloquently uh i'm a big chris mellon Fan. Yeah, he, he has a presence. I'm not going to lie. Yes. We, we met him briefly at, at at Saul, and he was he has he does have this kind of aura of like I'm like <laughs> oh he's like a an Illuminati guy or so you know like he's definitely feel that and I use that term in the general Illuminati sense, not in the, any sort of specific way. But <laughs> um, but yeah, and, he yeah. is it, he's an interesting cat. It, I mean, is he a gatekeeper? Has he put has he had hands on a, a, a craft? Do we think? I don't know, man. Uh, uh, that's the thing. Like, if you get to have your hands on a craft, you never get to admit it or say it in public. Like, yeah. <laughs> like that's probably part of the deal. Like, uh, uh, they, you know, it, 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 they yeah. threaten Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin's lives, uh, then they'll threaten anybody's lives. They have to be somebody like uh, almost untouchable, like Christopher Mellon. Like, if you messed with Christopher Mellon, people would notice and he would make sure everyone in the world knew about yeah. it. And you can't, you know, uh, you just can't fuck with him. He's uh, also, he's also got Chris Mellon makes the, uh, you know, the, um, that part of the, uh, the world that keeps wanting to call everyone a grifter. Um, yeah. you sort of go, well, I don't think Chris Mellon is in this for money. Yeah, I know. Uh, I don't think he's grifting, you know, I think, uh, I think the, the Mellon fortune will do him just fine. Oh, yeah, no, they're always going to be people, people who cry yeah. grifter because it's an easy out. Like, yeah, it's a new catchphrase. Like, yeah, I can't handle this. I don't want to believe it. I'm not going to believe it. I don't care what you say. You guys can go hang out with the non-human intelligence, but leave me out of it. I think that's the way like a lot of people feel. I got enough problems. Just the day-to-day of human existence is yeah. enough of an existential burden for me that I don't need to know that there are creatures smarter than us that are zipping around. and <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm not sharing their technology with us. Although that's what kills me is that evidence would indicate that they have been sharing their technology with us, uh, but just not with the right people. They end up sharing it with our military uh, who ends up using it to make weapons and, uh, uh, and not giving us uh, free energy because that would erase the whole need for military contractors. Mm-hmm. If everybody had, you know, free energy and, and uh, it would erase, um, it would erase need and hunger, and uh, it would also create Star Trek and launch humans out into space. That's, I think, the big uh, um, the thing with free energy is it would it would both uh, save us, but also unleash us on the rest of the yeah. universe. And who wants human beings <laughs> showing true. up? Like if you've yeah. got your shit together, 
like which uh, clearly these non-human intelligences have their shit more together than we do. Like you wouldn't want humans showing up to your party with a <laughs> shotguns and a shitty attitude yeah. <laughs> about yeah. everything. Like, yeah, really. like no yeah, the N- so the NHI are just going easy action. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like keep yeah, them there. Keep yeah. the monkeys on their little monkey planet uh, uh, in the um, nature preserve. Dave, yeah. Dave, and I were discussing whether it was the farm lab zoo or, it, 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 but if zoo was the correct term, that maybe a nature preserve. Yeah, I think uh, it's a yeah because I believe it's a nature preserve because as I said, uh, in a zoo they take care of you. Uh, you know, right? they, they, they feed you. you, they give you medicine, they make sure you aren't you know. They, you know, they, they keep the predators and the prey apart, but in a game park, it's just, you know, the lions are eating the, the antelope and if you get sick, you die. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think. And the farmland like and just, just for those at farm lab zoo would be sort of the argument for why they're not telling us what's going on. The, yeah. yeah. The reasons why you wouldn't want to, uh, uh, the reasons that if you got read in on this and they're like, well, here's the deal. Here's why we're not telling everybody. Uh, yeah, uh, or, is or, because it'll scare the shit out of everyone, and no one's going to show up for work or or anything ever again if they find out, you know, that they're stuck in a farm, a, a lab, or a zoo, or some combination, some yeah. fun combination. Well, especially when mm-hmm. when there's the theory that what they're farming isn't even. It's not like they're farming us for meat, like in to serve man. Yeah, uh, no. That maybe we're just fleshy petri dishes for growing souls, right? You know, and that Oosh. our that that's our what, souls are a commodity of some sort. That's <laughs> what Robert Monroe from the Monroe Institute called it. it was Loosh. And he was having his out-of-body experiences and he encountered these other beings that, that they were farming us for Loosh, which is like emotional energy. And that was Tom DeLonge's thing too in those God's Man and War books that he did with Peter Lavenda. Yeah. Uh, and they had a lot of uh, that idea of uh, ancient gods, like the Greek and Roman gods were real, but they were aliens and that mm-hmm. they uh, have been pitting humans against each other, manipulating us to uh, get us to fight with each other uh, uh, to create emotional energy and anger. And they, they feed on that. Um, yeah. And, and it's something Bob, Bob Lazar very reluctant, reluctantly told uh, George. Yes. The thing about the, containers, humans being yeah, containers, containers, but not the same yeah, there's that great, what? great clip of George saying, "Come on, just say it." You know, <laughs> just Bob, say it. And, and Bob going, I, it's so weird, George. I don't want George. It's so weird. I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> right, and he didn't yeah. know. Bob admitted he didn't know whether or not it was just documents that he gave him to read to bring have been him fake. Up yeah, like, which is, I'm sure, part of the manipulation. Like, yeah. I want to know whose job that is. Who's the guy who prepares those documents? You know, or writes up the Project Serpo story and like sneaks the truth in like somebody there's a writer there are like screenwriters who work for the uh, DIA and the DOE and the uh, all those <laughs> three letter monstrosities like something like 36 different intelligence agencies yeah. are you having are you, all not answering to each other all are you, build, are you building to a confession Ernie no, uh, <laughs> it's expressing my exasperation at the state of affairs. And what you were saying, my reaction to all this is I can't do my job. I'm a mainstream science fiction writer. Science fiction writer's job is to take the current technology uh, and history and extrapolate into the future and think about how that technology is going to affect people's lives. And uh, and how do I do that if I don't know what the current technology, state of technology uh, is and haven't been told for 50 years because it's all been hidden away in black projects in places like Raytheon and Northrop Grumman and Lockheed Martin 
uh, all of our yeah. good friends. And the new place that uh, Kirkpatrick is working. Uh, oh, Arrow. Yeah. Uh, no, no, or, no. He's at, Oak, what is it, Royal Oaks or something? Royal somewhere. Oaks or one of those. Yeah, yeah another military contractor. I feel yeah. bad for all the science. He probably wanted, it, he probably didn't, you know, dreamed of being a real scientist. Like, sure, I'll work for the government, but I'll do science for the government. Like, I bet that guy never imagined he was going to be offered up as a sacrificial lamb and like some sort of sock puppet for uh, Susan Go and the Air Force to like, you know, keep towing the party line, <laughs> pretend like yeah. David Rush is full of shit. Like, it's like Eddie Murphy and Beverly Hills, like, la, la, la. <laughs> Dave Rush is talking, but I can't hear him. La, la, la. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's Kirkpatrick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's a it's, song, Kirkpatrick. I mean, and I, I think there was actually, in terms of science, you had mentioned like you had mentioned physics, you had mentioned energy. I don't know if you guys saw. There was um, Eric Weinstein. 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 Yeah, Weinstein. Um, Weinstein was on. Uh, I think Chris Williams' podcast had a really couple interesting because he was a, you know, he's a mathematical physicist from Harvard. Like I feel like, and he's sort of he's beginning to really pivot. He had been kind of a debunker and a skeptic and. I, on the one hand, I was kind of happy to see that because I think we need more science allies in this in this game in this yeah. conversation because sort of Avi Loeb and Gary Nolan have been carrying a lot of fucking water for people that haven't had sort of the courage to come forward. And I think Eric, he he he's you know, as in terms of a popular voice in science, you know, um, who does know what he's talking about, it's in it's interesting what he's saying because he certainly is absolutely now convinced that these that these SAP programs exist like these beyond a shadow of a doubt yeah that that they exist now he's not willing to say it's little green men or some ridiculously elaborate 40 year psyop to try to fool our enemies into you know think but he doesn't i don't think he truly believes that what he's talking about is that that the scientists that are involved it honestly seems like he's pitching himself for a gig because he's saying, he's saying ah, dimensional, whatever, interdimensional. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about. The only people that really know what they're talking about would be me and a couple other guys, you know, where it's like, yeah. you know, they, they mean well, they're really trying to get disclosure out, but what they need is a scientist because if you want ultimate power, it's not money, it's not conquering land, it's physics. And the, and the, this country has, Aban- our country has abandoned physics. It sort of handed it over to the super string folks who've got nothing to show for it after right. you know a long time. And so I just thought what, what your thoughts were on, on that, on having a, do we need I, the scientists to step up and is, and is it our abandonment of physics? I have such respect for Eric Weinstein. Uh, he has had the right reaction, like an initial incredulity, like what? Like the title of your podcast. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Like materials, physics, science, and knowledge has been hidden from the entire scientific community by defense contractors in the U.S. military uh, and their shitty stovepipe scientists who can't even talk to or collaborate with each other have been failing to figure out how to use it. Or worse, they did figure it out and they've just been using it free energy to power their TR-3B super weapons uh, uh, and not letting the rest of the world have free energy while climate change spins out of control. Like, that's what I wonder now. Do they, do these idiots realize like, oh, uh, uh, well, maybe if they have free energy, they could have Gary, they could have that secret space force that Gary McKinnon, the com- British computer hacker found. Maybe they have, maybe they already have spaceships and Star Trek and they're just leaving us out of it. So they don't care if we all burn. But I hope that everybody 
at Northrop Grumman and Raytheon uh, uh, and Lockheed Martin. Uh, all you folks know you're stuck here on planet Earth with us uh, and planet Earth is dying. So if you have access to free energy and you're hiding it, like now's the time to come forward with it. Like we need to, to desalinate the oceans, pull carbon out of the atmosphere and save the human race from an imminent demise and the collapse of our biosphere. Uh, if that's what kills me, if non-human intelligence has been gifting us this technology and it's just not been reaching us, it's been like suppressed by our idiot selfish leaders to protect the petrodollar. Uh, it's, uh, it's upsetting to me, fellas. Yeah, no. that would be uh, a huge betrayal of humanity. And that you, that's another reason you want to keep that a secret too. Oh, we betrayed all of humanity. Sorry, we're yeah. defense contractor. It's like a corporation or even like a bank. There's a great yeah. saying about like banks. You, uh, a, a bank will do things that none of the people who work at the bank would ever do as an individual. But they once they form this entity known as a bank and set it in motion, it's a machine that will you know <laughs> act like its own artificial intelligence, just like a corporation. Yeah. Uh, in, in capitalism, you set it in motion. The corporation will do horrible things that no individual in the corporation, whatever's like, oh no, that, that would be evil. But the corporation itself, and I think, uh, I think that's what's happened with our military-industrial complex. It was we yeah. set it in motion, and now it's this machine. And there are good people inside of it, the machine, that are like, this machine is fucked, and we need to stop this machine. And then there are other people who are like, no, I love the way this machine runs. I love having a secret <laughs> that no one else yeah. knows. I love thinking that I'm one of the men in black, uh, even though I'm some pencil pusher. Uh, um, then, uh, yeah. Yeah, why is also the, the notion that, that the um, military-industrial complex, it, it becomes its own ecosystem where, where the, uh, the fitness factors aren't about uh, defense anymore. It's just about sustaining the investment in, in machines and weapons. Um, so it's all the, the investment itself is the, is the goal yeah. and, and defense is just kind of the, uh, uh, the medium in which it exists. Uh, yes. Uh, but there's also a strong link between our military and whenever uh, anybody, uh, general or admiral or anybody retires from high up in the U S air force, uh, they usually go right to a job in the board of Lockheed Martin. Uh, mm -hmm. Or Raytheon or Northrop Grumman. Uh, those, you know, and oftentimes the, their security clearance will go up after they <laughs> retire. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. They're, like, read in on, you know, uh, uh, the, the reverse engineering programs 
uh, and the special access programs after they've retired from their official position in the military and become private citizens and don't have to answer uh, uh, to the government. Not that they do anyhow, not that the Air Force answers to anyone. I mean, I still lean towards the notion that they've been that they have been trying to figure this out for 80 years and failing. Um, yeah. And the, and, the, yeah. And the fear the, and a lot of the fear and the secrecy comes from uh, the fear that somebody else is going to figure it out first, that, that, that Russia yeah. is going to figure it out or China is going to figure it out, um, you know, or, you know, or, uh, or Liechtenstein. Yeah. Um, so, that's the thing. Somebody else clearly already has figured it out. That's the yeah, thing. The, yeah. They beat us to the punch. Somebody else has this technology and they're, you know, so we're worried about, we're still worried about ourselves. That's what's crazy. We're still worried about like keeping the technology from different factions of our uh, uh, of our own species. You know, when clearly yeah. we've got bigger fish to fry <laughs> than each yeah. other. Like, yeah. but humans, well, yeah. like I don't know if you've been watching because you know the, all of the um, the Soul Foundation uh, talks are being are, are being released released now. Um, I haven't watched any of them yet. Those guys frustrate the hell out of me. You guys were there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, we were there. But the the right one of the ones that I really was impressed by was uh, Kevin Knuth. Um, and his yes. one, his he basically just did. He basically just looked at the data that we have, and did the did the math and figured out what levels of energy are. Did, if if what we're seeing is is uh, is accurate, then what's what are the energies? that are required to create these oh, for the Nimitz? behaviors up from 10,000 yeah. feet. Yes. And it was like more and than like a th thousand nuclear reactors or something. Well, he said it's, it's the, like the output of the entire United States nuclear power uh, yeah. for, for that, for that 1.78, for that uh, uh, 0.78 seconds of yeah. acceleration would require all of the nuclear power in America to, cr yeah. to, to power that one, that one less than a second maneuver. Oh, you know? And that. so, yeah, so they're going. So that's like for people who keep saying, "Well, this is just a, a dark project." I think that's pretty good evidence it isn't because we 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 can't harness that kind of energy, uh, you know. And we can't, you know, we're talking about craft, you know. He also he did the math on the uh, uh, Japanese Airlines uh, incident, uh, that oh, yeah. cargo ship where there was a giant aircraft carrier size UFO that kept darting around, and they calculated that it was uh, traveling at something like. Uh, like 250,000 miles an hour in short spurts, you know? And he said, these are, and he said, his, these are the minimum speeds and these are the minimum energies um, because they've, you know, he said, we're, we're just calculating what the minimum would be for this, for this to be, to occur. Right. You know? Meanwhile, our government's got a couple dozen of them hiding in hangars that they poke yeah. with a screwdriver every once in a while. Well, yeah. no one at any research institution can look at them, and uh, and our climate and and uh, ocean temperatures are spinning out of control. Like, what are these yeah. assholes doing? And like, and the Pentagon, like twenty years ago, the Pentagon did a threat assessment on global warming, and uh, they did a major oh, yeah. major threat assessment, uh, basically talking about basically predicting everything that's happening now. Uh, yeah, Mobile also, did, did one. Yeah, Exxon Mobil yeah. did back in the eighties the same thing. The petroleum yeah. companies do. Uh, yeah. And then took steps <laughs> took their own steps to misinform the public and gaslight them and to believe in that uh, it wasn't anything they needed to worry about. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because because yeah, British Petroleum changed their logo to a, a weird green flower. Oh yeah, uh, 
it's like a, now. It's basically a sunflower. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's true. Yeah. Uh, after <laughs> um, it's wild times. That's what we're talking about, though. I mean, it's we're talking about power at a level and a scale that is impossible to conceive of, which which I think along with and I think you're correct that there is a fear of, you know, uh, retribution. There's a fear of just being thrown in jail. There's a fear of people being acute. You know, there's a there's a litigation. Mm -hmm. God knows. I mean, there's a whole but it's also this they're looking at power at at a scale and an energy that is um beyond you know it it changes the entire it, it would change everything. everything changes literally everything and so there and i and i think the you know that just not to circle back to the eric weinstein thing but the one other thing he said was that there was just this he, he believed in the durability of secrets i mean he believed that there's it's not impossible to fathom that these secrets are kept there's lots of secrets kept for a long long time you know i mean it's yeah. it, it's it's the government's actually pretty good at keeping secrets that might yeah. have been something I think dave you said on previous podcast you know they're they're good at it um they're they work really really hard to figure out how to keep secrets now obviously some shit is spilling out but i for the most part people are in the dark they remain in the dark and the stakes are so high um, whether or not they think we can handle it, I'm not sure they give a shit versus I want this to be mine. I want this power. You know, if we can crack it, it's ours. And that remains a sort of human instinct that overrides um, kind of everything. But uh, yeah, that speech that Knuth uh, uh, gave was just was so I don't know, there was something so so kind of like nuts and bolts about it. That was, yeah. it, I was like, yeah. okay, all right. Yeah, I'm seeing no, it, it here. obvious. Like, yeah, that's our, that's the technology we need to save us. And it exists. We've been seeing evidence of it and our government has been suppressing evidence of its existence uh, all around the world for 50, 60 years and the worst 50, 60 years ever for our climate and us pumping carbon into the atmosphere. Yeah. Like, uh, well, that have- alone, like you're guilty of one of the, you're guilty of one of the biggest crimes in history, like just the damage already done by climate change. If that could have been prevented, if you guys figured yeah. out any gravity with T Townsend Brown and Ken shoulders sometimes, you know, and, and kept it a secret because you wanted to use it to make weapons and you didn't want it to affect the petrodollar because the petrodollar is what lets you uh, control the entire world economy um, uh, and got to keep burning the dinosaur juice until the very end. Until mm-hmm. like the <laughs> the yeah. um, Doctor Seuss yeah. parable uh, <laughs> comes true, and if you're, yeah. And if you're not burning the if you're not burning the oil, then uh, then how do you how do you you know how do you justify the constant buildup of of a the military to go out and get the oil as right. well? Yeah, you know, no, you can't. A lot of uh, money, a lot of money, and a lot of politicians thriving on that money. Listen to these Hollywood liberals with their tree hugging philosophy, mm-hmm. talking like they know the troubles of deep black program. <laughs> I know uh, runners, <laughs> yeah. But I know, you, yeah, it used to be just the right wing crazies talking this way. Now it's <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I went, you know, one of the uh, my favorite uh, epic uh, UFO moments. I don't know if anybody knows about is. I got to, I introduced Dave to Steve Justice and Jeremy Corbell, or not to Jeremy, but Jeremy and Dave, yeah. I introduced them both to Steve Justice in the mosh pit of a Blink-182 <laughs> concert. Yes. 
like made yes. our way through the mosh pit over to Steve Justice because because Tom was on stage and called him out and how and I'm like oh they're here <laughs> so we made yeah. my way over and in in the middle of a song and uh, I'm like this is one of the the greatest moments in UFO history here I'm introducing opened up a seam <laughs> yeah. in reality and, and, just yeah, get open and, and he can was be too used, far away to make it over to house and, and Steve Justice could be used as a radio tower he uh, <laughs> he is a tall man yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think he was holding. I think he was holding up some of the stage lighting. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he is a he is a sweet man. And for those uh, at home, yeah. for those at home, Steve Justice, give us an idea of who what what what, what cascade of characters here that we're dealing with at this concert. <laughs> uh, well, Steve Justice, uh, a former head of the Lockheed Martin Skunk Works, uh, uh, that guy knows what's up, uh, yeah. and also um, Hal Putoff ex-head of Project Stargate at Stanford Research Institute and the government's remote viewing program, working with Russell Targ and uh, uh, those guys. How fascinating guy, also involved in energy research. You know what's fun to do is to get Jacques Vallée's Forbidden Science books and then go back into the index and just look at the entries related to Hal Putoff and Eric mm -hmm. Davis and Kit Green. <laughs> They're yeah. all really fascinating. There's one in Jacques' latest book, Forbidden Science 5, where uh, he talks about how put off expressing to him that he's terrified because one of his friends involved in a free energy creation uh, project uh, had everybody in the lab killed. Um, it's just a little aside that he mentions that Hal told this to him, but uh, Jacques Vallée hides a lot of crazy little secrets in those forbidden science uh, books. You can never pin him down yeah. on what he actually believes, but he like relays a lot of, yeah, I've only read I've only read the first one so far. I got to go through the rest. Really good. Invisible College is, is that really four good. or five of them now? Is that four? It's no. Book five uh, yeah. just came out. Richard Dolan, uh, who's one of my favorite ufologists uh, and and writers, a great historian on this subject. Have you guys met Richard? I haven't met. No, I haven't met Richard. He's like the coolest yeah. guy. I'm a big fan. He co-author uh, of Bright with Bryce on the after disclosure, uh, after disclosure. yes uh i have bryce's show have you guys seen bryce's show dark skies that he did uh, yeah yeah i remember I i'm watching you. when it came out I, I was trying desperately to find someone that's streaming it now but i couldn't find it you can't i found the, i found the, i found the, the tv movie pilot for it yes you could that. Get that. why wouldn't they want this whole series available dave you could get every <laughs> episode of teen wolf and head of the class uh yeah <laughs> Uh, uh, it's Curious. shameful, and and it was while making that the Bryce kept saying that that you know we talk about the you know the Robertson panel and the idea of yeah. of a liaising with the entertainment community that he said these weird guys who yeah, were Air Force guys from the Air Force guys kept coming to him with story ideas and and or criticizing his scripts they would somehow get hold of the scripts yeah. Like same, before table same, reads. There's a great book that Bryce wrote the forward to uh, uh, called Silver Screen Saucers. And it's like an analysis of the whole history of flying saucers and the UFO phenomenon as depicted in movies and uh, uh, television. And uh, it uh, uh, it talks about uh, Bryce's experience, but that happening on other, so many other films and television shows uh, back in the 50s were tinkered with by the Air Force. Uh, mm. tinkered with by the CIA and they uh, would edit news broadcasts with certain people or always make sure to have Philip class on as a guest with uh, you know, if Donald Kehoe was going to be on, have somebody there to like Bill Nye to like calm everybody down and be like, no, well, it could mm. just be, you know, lights in the sky or, or, or even Carl Sagan uh, yeah. uh, would, would do that. Just calm people yeah. down. Yeah. And now it's, 
now it's Mick West. Now it's Mick West uh, and yeah. Stephen Greenstreet. Uh, yeah. uh, these are... jokers. So they're not, they're, you guys aren't living up. Philip Klaus was much more imposing and, uh, yeah. uh, and harder to out. Couldn't really figure out that guy was working for the government until after he died and like analyzing his, but he clearly was a spook. And then uh, uh, those guys, like, uh, uh, that's, a, that's what kills me. Like when you become an astronaut and you um, uh, go to work for NASA, NASA, are there certain jobs where um, when you get your security clearance, that just means, okay, now you have to lie. Like uh, if you see mm. anything in space, when you're on the space shuttle, do you need to lie and keep your mouth shut? Yeah, there's aliens. We see them sometimes. Mum's the word. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, what a shitty day at astronaut school when you find out like, oh, <laughs> it's yeah. all a lie. NASA's all a lie. Uh, I have friends who are astronauts, so I shouldn't be talking this way. Very sweet people. I, yeah. I, well, I, I got to meet old, most of the Apollo guys when I was doing- You were an astronaut, Dave. Yes. I, I went to the moon. I, went, I, was, I was the fourth man on the moon. I was, yeah. I was that mean. Fourth. I, uh, now I got to go tour. Uh, I have a, a, my friend, Chell Lindgren, uh, has gone up to the International Space Station twice. He called oh. me from the International Space Station once. My phone rang oh, cool. and he said, hey, this is Chell calling you from space. That was the craziest mm-hmm. thing. I, that is, that yeah. is wild. Yeah. Did he see anything? I, he wouldn't be able to tell me. Like, mm. that's the thing. If you want to get to go to space, yeah. like, put your hand on the Bible and swear to keep your mouth shut. Uh, <laughs> you know? Um, I wonder if that's why, because what is Ed? I'm, I'm, I'm blanking out his name. Edgar Mitchell. Oh, uh, Mitchell. Thank you. Because uh, Edgar Mitchell made always made it, would make it clear that he had never seen anything. Yeah. Although he would work towards disclosure and uh, he would work to make the uh, the subject more, ex- you know, acceptable. So I wonder if that's, I wonder if maybe he had seen stuff, but it's that same thing that you have to lie. So he had to. Yeah. Stephen Greer said that Leo, Neil Armstrong said to him and his wife directly uh, and, and Buzz Aldrin's sister also said that they both had had their lives threatened and that they and their wives and their kids would die in a horrible accident if they opened their mouths about what they saw yeah. uh, uh, on the moon. And they, you know, those guys, if you watch, if you watch their uh, first hearing after they get back to the moon, they look like they've just been chewed out and had their lives threatened. And like, they're yeah. not the fun, like, you know, uh, Air Force plane jet jockeys that they were before they went up there and they just pulled off the craziest hail mary of all time and made it to the moon and back uh yeah. with 1960s technology and like a calculator yeah like a, <laughs> Cas- a, a casio watch got the pencil <laughs> yeah pencil right, uh, like can you believe we pulled that shit off like well, instead they're like dealers and had- headlights like get me away from these cameras as quickly as possible so i can re-enter private life and then spend the rest of it keeping mm-hmm. my mouth shut with okay, all the flying saucers parked all around Tranquility Base <laughs> when we landed, telling yeah. us to get the fuck out. Well, now that you, was, say, now this, you mentioned that, there was a weird coincidence. I wound, I was seated next to Buzz Aldrin on a flight from uh, uh, from New York to Los Angeles. Wow. Uh, and it was the day Neil Armstrong died. Oh, wow. what? Wow. Yeah. And so I was, I talked, I chatted with Buzz for the entire flight. Um, and but it was one of the things that Buzz said on that flight that I thought was really weird. He just, you know, I said, "I'm so sorry about your your colleague Neil's uh, passing." That said, and uh, Buzz just goes, "Yeah, there's something not right about that. Uh, yeah, there's no there's no reason that no reason Neil should have died." 
no oh. reason. And he's going on about something not right about it, something funny about that. Oh, yeah. And 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 I talked. I also said I knew Pete Conrad and Al Bean and Dick Gordon from Apollo Twelve. And so we stuck with that. And Pete Conrad had died just a little while before that in a motorcycle accident. And he said, and so he goes the same thing. Same thing about Pete. That's something weird. Something weird happened there. I don't get wow. it. Something yeah. weird happened. Yeah. And I was go- at the time. I'm just, that's this all seems kind of. You know, I kept going, yeah. well, you know, Neil's many, old, Buzz. Whoa. How many guys are there, though, that if they said something, they saw something? Like, at this yeah. age, like, I'm an old man now. They threatened my life. But this is what happened. Like, Neil and Buzz, like, either those guys had done it, like, everyone would have believed it. There would have been no yeah. putting the toothpaste back in that uh, tube. What is, remember that one time that uh, Buzz tweeted something crazy of a, a, a pyramid in Alaska saying it is pure evil itself? Oh, I don't know. I don't think I heard he, that. He, he tweeted. <laughs> what? I don't know what the story is. Buzz Aldrin tweet about a pyramid saying it's pure evil, and then he deleted it, and then there was no ever any explanation. Buzz yeah. went Lovecraft on us? I'm looking this up. Who knows? Wow. Uh, but uh, I'm sure there's, you know, it's going to be so hard. Neil Armstrong, like one of the last speeches he ever gave, he said something to the effect of, you know, he made some allusion to there are great discoveries waiting to be made for those who can peel away truth's protective layers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Like they have any gravity <laughs> they <know> about <laughs> aliens. They're oh, just not telling you idiots. So Buzz uh, is right. <laughs> Armstrong out. And then he drops the mic. <laughs> that would have been mm-hmm. great. But uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> Buzz Aldrin tweeted, we are all in danger. It is evil itself. Oh dear. Oh, yeah, that. Yeah, well, for some reason, that wasn't on the front page of every uh, major newspaper around the world. It was just quietly deleted. Like he got the phone call, right? His the special buzz phone in his pocket rang, and it was like DOE. He's like, "How does this Twitter work?" Okay, yeah. Conference call. Hey, Buzz, we warned you. Those those are lovely grandchildren that you have. (laughs) Your great grandchildren too. And to like, your point here, Ernie, yeah. it, he had just been evacuated from the South Pole due to health concerns. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I remember when he was down there, right? I forgot yeah. about that. Photograph yeah. right. And he's posting a picture of a pyramid down there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it could be one of those pyramids that the project, the remote viewers at the Stanford Research Institute, Pat Price, I think, was their best remote viewer. And he went one night and remote viewed like every, all these alien bases. And, uh, yeah. and one of them was a, like a, under Mount Shasta, one of them was in Australia, and I think one of them was like near the South Pole. It was like a pyramid using to control people's minds. I, you know, remote viewing. <laughs> you can't. Yeah, my, I think HP HP Lovecraft was either an early asset or some. This guy was uh, yeah. a prophecy monger. What I was going to ask you about. You have to think about that as a writer, right? Like if remote viewing is a real thing. And those guys just sit in a room and close their eyes and try to see a place far away, you know, uh, at, based on coordinates. Like, how much of uh, artistic inspiration and a writer in the flow at a keyboard, like, how much of that, you know, uh, could uh, be influenced, you know, and, and an idea put into your head and uh, put into a creative, like, that That could be a way that Stevens. Steven's work or my work or any of us uh, could have uh, ideas implanted in our uh, that stuff from Christopher Mellon, slide nine, psychotronic weapons. You guys know about slide nine? No, it sounds really creepy, though. Christopher Mellon, yeah. slide nine. Christopher Mellon had a folder open on his website, maybe by accident. 
But in it was a slideshow he had presented that I think was probably top secret. And slide nine talks about there being psychotronic weapons uh, in the hands of uh, uh, any movie forces that can, you know, that are basically like a human remote control where you could just pause people or, you know. A little bit of inception going on. Just yeah. Like plant, plant um, a little, yeah. little seed. I mean, yeah. as it relates to Lovecraft, there's no question in my mind the enduring, uh, and you will, I'll, I'll completely, um, like I'll sign on for that the universe drops ideas on us that we're, you know, that we're, if you kind of open yourself up, you're, you know, you have no idea what might swim in, good or bad, but he hit the enduring nature of that world that he created is just i don't know man it's just the the shit we're talking about now circles right back oh yeah yeah oh yeah (laughs) Yeah. i mean just Mm -hmm. the unknowable unspeakable uh you know deep ones and it's just i don't know i used to play lovecraft call it uh, Cthulhu. How do you pronounce Cthulhu? You pronounce Cthulhu? Uh, pr- Cthulhu is how I pronounce. There's HP, a big candle of his head, oh, right? Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. I played mm-hmm. uh, HP Lovecraft like role playing games, like Dungeons and Dragons, but yeah. based on Cthulhu was awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. If Tom, Tom wrote a novel that had HP Lovecraft as one of the main characters. Oh yeah, the Arcana. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, right, very, good, very good novel. You'd like it. You've worked with like. Guillermo and Frank Miller and all these guys I idolize uh, that are the coolest. Like he's done some cool. I love Curse the- too. As a fan of Curse, you worked on that, right? Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am a huge. I will. Uh, I Hoover up anything to do with Arthurian, the Arthurian mythos. I love retellings of that. You ever read John Steinbeck's uh, uh, King Arthur book that he wrote, just as like a hobby no. for his son? No, really cool. never even heard of it. Uh, uh, Chris actually reminded me of, there's a great comic book that came out in the eighties called Camelot 3000 that you might dig. Uh, uh, I remember the title and I don't think I ever yeah, read it. It was like a futuristic reimagining of King Arthur mythos, but it, uh, I got similar vibes. I love uh, what you guys were doing with cursed and reimagining Arthurian characters. Thank you. Stuff. There's one moment where it was like really early on. Cause Frank and I had agreed to do it. I had, we were talking about, because of course I worshipped Frank Miller growing up. I mean, his work was so impactful in my life, and just you know, so he. Uh, I just remember driving when he sent the first kind of images of the Fae or what the Lady of the Lake would look like, feel like, and it was just like yeah. the, the first sort of Frank Miller original coming through my phone. I like pulled over <laughs> and had to just be like, "All right, this is gonna be fucking cool." Awesome. Um, yeah, it was really, really a like a. Yeah, completely fan fanboy moment. Um, and he's so he's cool. great. And we continue to do stuff together. He's like uh, he's like Uncle but Frank now, at this point. He made uh, he came here to Austin and made uh, the Spirit and also both Sin City movies with my friend Robert Rodriguez here right. in town. Mm-hmm. They, right. uh, he bought all these old when the old airport here in Austin closed and they opened the new airport. He bought up a bunch of buildings at the old airport and turned it into Austin Studios. And they had like one old airplane hangar with full of blue screens, and that's where they made both Sin City movies, all the Spy Kids movies, all in. Uh, uh, and uh, I love that's some of my favorite uh, Frank Miller adaptations too. Is the oh man, Sin City. Sin City. I showed my great. I showed my son uh, who's uh, twenty. I, I showed him Sin City, and he hadn't seen it. I couldn't believe it because he like he knows Frank, and he'd been through the whole Cursed experience. But I showed him Sin City, and and the first five minutes, he's like the fuck is that like what is like what is this and then like the next five minutes he's like 
I'm so in like this. this <laughs> yeah. awesome. Like that, that's the effect where you're initially like, what, what's happening? And then you're like, oh, you, yeah. you got me. It's just, it's, it's so and that, pure. That was one so, of those movies. that was a great leap forward, you know, yeah, oh, too, that, yeah. That, just, you know, having all your sets be not real, you know, not real. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah but also it's us like recreating comic book, yeah. uh, panels, you know, graphic novel panels, like frame for frame. Uh, uh, and bringing them to life. Like it was just uh, so great. Only Robert uh, uh, could have made that. Uh, yeah. No, I, it's a, I, yeah. Those are so it's good. wild. There, it's, I remember Guillermo actually was showing the early mountains of madness. Like when will that, is that going to ever happen? Do we think his, cause this was, would have been 2011 or something when he was, cause it got shut down the R rated version that was oh, yeah. supposed to be the universal was going to make. And it just had all these amazing, like aliens coming out of aliens out of, you know, he was just like in full bloom, oh. like in all of his madness, I'm still praying that, that he'll, and I think he'll figure it out. Um, cause that has to get mountains of madness has to get made at some point. It, it does. Uh, you know, where apparently I mean, it's a movie now, so that should help the, that uh, should help. Yeah. I met Guillermo, waiting in line for star Wars episode one, uh, at a theater downtown. Gamma was not waiting in line with the rest of the nerds, but he came down to visit, visit us. And that's how I met him. And then once when I was coming out of the airport in London, this woman came up, was so excited and took all these pictures with me. And, the, uh, uh, she was speaking in a language I didn't understand. And then she went away and the woman with me explained that she thought that I was Guillermo. Uh, <laughs> you know what? he had just won his Oscar. So I felt real famous there for a second. What do you what do you think now with because I think if you in terms of Hollywood, in terms of this subject matter of like UF UAP, because I what is your take? We've talked you mentioned that, like, there have been assets in the entertainment industry forever and influencing forever because I and I haven't like widely tested this, but in terms of material that is purportedly true. You know, if you were right. going to talk about the Tic Tac story or something, as opposed to aliens invade a fictional horror story, like a true story. I don't know. What do you feel the temperature is in the industry right now for something like that? Um, I don't know. Well, you already see the Tic Tac video and the the go fast. And uh, you already see those inserted into different Hollywood movies to set up. Yeah. Uh, or to set or up Super, Super Bowl right. ads. Yeah. Oh, and right. Right. Ads. Um, True. it's already, you know, um, but I don't know, like I'm dying to do it. Like it's a television show that I'm developing based like with George as the, uh, centerpiece, but I would imagine like, I, I can't believe somebody hasn't That's already, great. somebody hasn't already done the, uh, a recreation of the Nimitz encounter. Uh, and these guys yeah, or just, I'm just, well, do you think they'll let that happen? I mean, so that's good, though, but that's encouraging if that's, if that's happening, that's great. Because I think in terms of like, Soak, soaking into the culture like this is a true story what we're about to share with you because i don't really yeah. think that's happened no i mean communion uh, i guess communion you know christopher walken yeah but even like uh even the films that are coming out now like oppenheimer right uh uh how much of that story is missing like there's no way that that guy wasn't read in on whatever right. was going on with ufos those guys at los alamos when Enrico Fermi is coming up with the Fermi paradox, Los Alamos is being like dive bombed by UFOs every other day. And he's, meanwhile, Enrico Fermi is like, where is everybody? Hmm. <laughs> Frank Drake <laughs> yeah. is running his numbers. Like, it's so ridiculous to me. Like, uh, yeah. uh, but 
Um, I guess uh, David Grush was saying uh, Robert Sarbacher was one who was put in charge of standing up a lot of these early uh, programs to deal with recovered UFOs that apparently they, before even Roswell, right? They were, they got that one from Italy. That's crazy to me that the Vatican hips the U S military to the fact that, Oh yeah, by the way, Mussolini found some ship from somewhere uh, before the war even started. uh, And that they uh, carted that back. That's great. Like that part of the spoils of world war two was a craft from somewhere else. And where is that thing? Where is yeah, that yeah. thing they found in Italy in 1938? Like, uh, uh, it's not in any museum. <laughs> yeah. You think I, the, I mean, with all the bombs going off and the entire world convulsed by, you know, uh, chaos and violence, that something would have fallen out of the sky, especially with all the Foo Fighters reports yeah. and all of that. Like, it's, and why wouldn't they be just checking out, like, holy shit? <laughs> the aliens are like, this is it, guys. Like, they're yeah. going, they're, they're going well, down. And it seems right. like, like from what you know, Diana Pazalka says about getting into the archives, it does seem like the Vatican has been preparing for this for a lot longer than anybody else. Yeah, uh, because well, mm. like that—that's the other terrifying thing. Like I've come, I was raised yeah, uh, in the Christian church uh, and went to Sunday school and rejected all of that uh, uh, when I was a teenager and assumed it was all just made up stories. People, people worshiping their own desire, you know, and a, a just a no difference between re- religion and mythology. But now, like, um, uh, I'm not so sure. I've come all the way back around to not being so sure. Uh, yeah, that if something like what happened in the in the Bible, because if the if the story that's depicted in the Bible is true, then that's that's a louche farm. That's a a, a, a soul farm. Jesus. And his dad were just in the void, bored off their ass. And they're like, you know what? I would like some some entertainment, some people to love me. Like, uh, so I'm going to create a planet and create this uh, species and set them in motion and, and, and see if they love me. And then I'll give them a, an apple a tree and say, you can have every tree in the garden, but this one. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it's like a, 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 it's a Machiavellian game. And, and uh, if they're real, then... Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit, they would all be three different versions uh, or, or variants of some super powerful alien being. Uh, and they've set this world in motion for their own purpose and entertainment. And even if they're farming love and they're farming humans just to, you know, uh, it's still, you know, it's still not a party yeah. that you can leave. Well, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's also sort of a middle ground where, you know, the, the, these phenomena could have been occurring and all the world's religions are were just humans who would like to tell stories, filling in the gaps, just going, yeah. you know, like oh well, you know, it's like like you know, you know, somebody watched you know uh, Saint Francis get yeah. get burnt by lasers, and you know, and then they oh it was an angel, and it gave him stigmata, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, Force, yeah, I still believe that. Like there's still people walking around the Pentagon that are like, we shouldn't be looking into this. They're demons. Yeah, like, yeah. Mr. Mellon's an asshole. He's messing with demons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and 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 the worst part is they might be right. Right, uh, <laughs> they could be demons. Or yeah, why not? That's the other one that I hear a lot now. Oh, Jin, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, or different variants of different like fairies and elves yeah. and all these other things from human mythology. Like, well, I mean, yeah. it's just that. I mean, I mean, one thing we know about our our, our visual. Uh, perception is that uh, most of it isn't visual most of it's uh memory and most of it is uh 
you know, gets altered over time. Um, that so, so the phenomena can present itself not just either by uh, deliberate manipulation on the part of the NHI, the non-human intelligence, or just by the way our uh, our senses work. That our senses are are basically a construction inside our brains. They aren't really about you know just capturing the light and getting the exact information because most 50% of everything we see is just memory of other things we've seen. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's not, none of it is, none of our perceptions are, are intrinsically real, <laughs> you know? Yes. But they feel real and yeah. we all coexist in this same uh, uh, consensus reality, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, and you still have to deal with it, whatever it is, whatever the nature of reality is, even if it's some quantum simulation that, uh, you know, that's what seems to be the, the implications now. Like not only does the yeah. tree not fall in the forest, if no one is there to hear it, the forest itself is no, tr no tree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah. yeah. Well, that's like Donald. Yeah. Donald Hoffman is definitely making the argument that, yeah, yeah. that, that when Einstein's question, do you think the moon isn't there when you don't look at it? And Donald Hoffman is saying it's not. Yeah, it's not there. The moon Nothing. isn't there when you don't uh, look at it. You know, yeah. uh, and if things are only there when they're perceived by a conscious uh, yeah. Uh, entity, then yeah, that would be another reason to grow humans. I talked about this one with George and Jeremy. Like, uh, if you were going to farm humans or grow them as containers, one of the things, you know, because a soul, it could just be another word for uh, consciousness, you know, self awareness. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, or it could be like Bill Hicks says, it's just a ride. This is like a, a being human here for a while on planet Earth is like a ride that they, you buy a ticket for this and you get to go mm -hmm. be, have a human life on Earth, uh, maybe multiple, <laughs> multiple times. My friend Andy Weir, who's a, 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 a wrote The Martian uh, and oh, yeah. Project Homeware, he's a really good science cool. fiction writer. He yeah. wrote a, a, a really popular short story called The Egg. Um, uh, that has been animated and done by a lot of people, uh, The Egg by Andy Weir. Uh, and it's basically a, a short story uh, about an alien child uh, talking to its parent, and it's learning that um, uh, its life as a human being on the earth is part of the egg, which is uh, the way that they grow their offspring is and educate them is they have to live every life of every human being who has ever lived in the history of the planet earth. So when you... Um, uh, when you finish one life, then you go into the next life. And the way that they evolve and uh, grow to adulthood is to, and emerge from the egg is to live every life of every person who's ever lived on the planet earth. So when you, you know, when you sh shoot somebody in an alley or, you know, or hit somebody with a baseball bat, that's you doing that to yourself mm. at a different mm. is, the, is the idea. Um, so that could, it could be, it's really, that's a really an, another appealing idea. Like when, when I say farm lab zoo, a lot of people say school, <laughs> it's not a farm lab or a zoo. It's a school, it, but if it's a, if it's a school, it's a school, you can't leave. Yeah. You don't have any choice about attending. So to me, that's, you know, that's the same as a, yeah. a, a, a prison. It makes, it makes me think of this just the other night we were watching the, uh, uh, surviving death based on the Leslie Keen. Uh, so, yeah. good. so good so good and this um oh my god this near-death experience stories um and this this one oh woman god. this one woman who was you know in a kayak and fell in the waterfall and was dead for 30 35 minutes you know she she they were in the patagonia they had to drag her out they they were just doing body recovery at this point her friends now they had lost her 
she was blue, purple, like they managed to bring her back and she wasn't miraculously brain damaged, but she had this elaborate um, and extended near-death experience with these beings. And I would have watched that 10 years ago with a completely different set of lenses than uh, than watching it now because all of it, you know, all of it circles back, of course, to this idea of um, whether we're whether we're in a, a whether what these near death experiences are. In fact, during the near death experience, they told her that her son wouldn't make it past eighteen, and and she lived with that for ten years with her son, who then was hit by a car two weeks after his eighteenth birthday. Wow! Um, and just an extraordinary story that was that again, like had uh, it not it was convinced it was. Just, uh, yeah, it happened to this woman. This woman went through the accident. She went through the thing. She went through all this. So, like, the idea of her in any way lying about this or it, it defies any sense of logic. So then it just you ask any it. you ask any yeah. ER doctor in any town. Like, yeah. I have a guy on my street. You ask any of them. They've all they all see it all the time. And there's a there's actually I just saw this uh, 45 minute documentary on YouTube. Uh, the YouTube channel. I think it's called Parnia Lab. Is then it's it's basically it's NYU lab, uh, NYU's like research hospital, and it's called uh, I think it's called uh, Rethinking Death, hmm. and it's forty five minutes. And but it's to me it seemed like a real leap uh, uh, in that it was a lot of uh, doctors, clinicians, practitioners, oh, and they're and this they're no longer dismissing NDE the way everyone has up until very recently, you know, where everyone said, Oh, it's dismissing it. It's just some sort of, it's the brain losing oxygen forming. T- it's an, it's an hallucination as you approach death. But um, they basically were saying that uh, like basically they started encountering near death experiences in the, in the medical field as soon as they developed CPR. Right. Right. So yeah. you could bring people back and then, but then now, and then they thought, well, all right, but the brain dies after about five minutes. And now they found that the, that the actual brain cells stay alive for hours after this woman death. was dead for 35 minutes. Yeah. She was gone. I mean, it was, well, this is, well, I was saying these, they're, they're what they found out was they can, you know, they found one thing they can, they can grow uh, uh brain organoids. They call them, I guess, right. The, from brain cells hours after someone has died, they can take cells from the brain and the cells aren't dead. You can, you can, you can grow them in a Petri wow. dish. Uh, so, but they've also found that they've been able to bring people back after they've been dead for over an hour. Um, And they've, they've actually changed the term from near death experience. They say that's no longer the, shouldn't be the, uh, the term for it because it's inaccurate. They said they now call it a recovered, uh, recalled experience of death. Mm. Cause there's, cause their attitude now is these people weren't, these aren't near death experiences. These are people who were fully, they're dead, thoroughly dead. Yeah. They had, they had passed all the way over. They weren't, they weren't in an, in an in-between state. They were through the gray zone into dead. And, this yeah. idea and then they brought that, back to life. And this idea that a brain deprived of oxygen can organize a consensus, uh, fantasy shared by, you know, how many, thousands millions of others who've had the same experience that just a brain deprived of oxygen isn't completely freaking out and aggressive and insane yeah. and shutting down or as opposed to like i'm gonna put this story together this very sort yes. of visual yeah. controlled and is just defies tell, you know and they tell detailed stories of events that they couldn't possibly have witnessed right. yeah they, things I've, that happen in other rooms well they're dead yeah. john alexander had a great one where it was a, a guy in a helicopter in vietnam 
had an out-of-body experience, died on the ground, uh, and uh, floated up above the jungle canopy and then saw the LZ zone where they needed to get to escape, to get back, And then um, uh, got resuscitated back on the ground. They got into a helicopter, went up, and he told them where to go. Yeah, uh, because he had already floated up and directed them. Like it was one of the only times that anybody had like been in a a helicopter, an air vehicle, and taken the same path that their body took. Crazy, uh, awesome. Like that. But it happens yeah. again and again. Like the implication being, like it's when you die, you get knocked out of your body and find out like that it was just a car you were driving. Your soul yeah. or your consciousness was driving this whole time, and that your consciousness can exist free of the meat puppet. <laughs> is yeah a, yeah um it seems uh, like like it, it is the norm that this is the norm of what happens when you die and it just seems to be that it's this maybe there's a small minority of people that don't recall it yeah well, <laughs> most people most yeah. people seem to recall it and some people uh uh remember especially those all those stories of young kids who remember elements of their previous life which yeah. again could yeah. have been confirmed until the existence of the internet when some kid starts telling a story about being a World War II pilot or something, like yeah. until the dad yeah. is able to go and like Google it and like check details and find out, yeah. oh, well, shit, this guy knows the names of uh, my kid who's five years old, knows the names of other crew members on this ship and the details of this. Did you see that? That was a one in Leslie Keene's show. The, the yeah, kid the from really Hollywood, the, the, the kid fire, from Hollywood yeah. who found yeah. the whole. Yeah, he was so weird. He was a swinging, swinging town agent. <laughs> That was crazy, and yeah. that pictures me like so. Some some people get to take the ride more than once, uh, you know. Yeah, uh, uh, which of, which of course that's um, also could be evidence that Nick Bostrom's right about the simulation. Yeah, because uh, one of the things he said, well, if the, if it is a simulation, then there will be glitches, and someone asked, well, well, what what would you think would be a glitch? And he said, well, reincarnation would be one, you know, because yeah. if, if it's a if it's a simulation and you know which i'd thought about too which and if so you wouldn't you if it's a simulation there has to be data compression there has to be because you otherwise you you're creating an entire universe and there's no point to it right. uh, so you got it has to be smaller than a universe so you have to compress the data so you would you would create you know conscious entities to be to be the uh, agents within your program that you're that you're want to test a hypothesis in um, and then once you've run the program, you'd reuse them. Yeah. Um, you'd, you'd wipe the memory and reuse them, but maybe sometimes the memory doesn't get wiped. Right. Uh, you which know. Really it doesn't. And, and sometimes people remember, uh, details or if they have, uh, their near death experience, uh, and then remember details of the afterlife. There are so many, like yeah. uh, there's a, there are YouTube channels, uh, and there was a great documentary that just came out. It was all just interviews with people about their, their near death experiences. There is one yeah. that is my favorite. This guy, I think, has the most views of anyone on YouTube. A guy who was an EMT uh, and got sick and had a had a near death experience, and he saw. Uh, as the only time I ever heard anybody say this, he saw little uh, dwarf like hooded characters that looked uh, that he described to somebody, and they said, "Go watch Communion, the movie of Communion." And he saw the movie of Communion and was shocked to see that they looked just like those hooded little mm. hooded dwarf. Uh, figures that you see in the movie communion that Whitley described uh, uh, seeing. So that's a fascinating connection between what happened to Whitley and the UFO phenomenon and near death experiences. Like that's yeah. one of the things that link the two. I will send you guys that. Uh, yeah. I was going uh, to say, but another interesting thing though is, is that with uh, 
people who, who recall past lives, they generally, uh, it occurs in childhood and fades over time. Right. Which to me also sounds like data correction. Right. Or there's a, yeah, I mean, it's weird because you, so you still remember your past life, uh, but it's during the time before you acquire language. So, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and then it starts to fade right around that time. Uh, so it's not, it's not as big of a problem and nobody takes anything a kid says seriously. seriously. Yeah. They assume yeah. imagination, but I've heard um, uh, people, once they have near death experiences or reincarnation experiences that they start asking little kids, do you remember when you were big? Like it's a question yeah. to ask little kids who are three or four. Do you remember? <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> I don't know. I think yeah. geez, the hell out of a lot of kids or scare them, but, um, <laughs> Uh, but it's a wild, uh, 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 wild thing uh, to think that uh, after you uh, struggle with the existential dilemma, <laughs> mm -hmm. you have to go. You have to go again. Well, yeah. My we question, and one of the, and we can, and as we uh, we've we've kept you a while, so I'll, I always end with like some DMT questions because I wonder if this is a replicable experience. Is the near death experience can it right. be can it be uh, replicated? Um, I, uh, I will not be partaking myself because, uh, my consciousness can't, I'm not emotionally. <laughs> You're emotionally, a writer. Like, yeah. you gotta I, I'm a, your that's your work machine. Very you fragile. Yeah. It. I'm Too just much. not, not my game didn't anymore. Do, but didn't I, do Huxley any harm. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, no, I have, uh, I heard they were, I just heard that they were doing, uh, the first study of that over in England where they were like jacking people up with DMT, giving them a dose, like keeping them in there for hours. Yeah, IV, the IV move, right? Yeah. To, to map yeah. Up yeah. Talk about heroic. Those guys who signed up for that. that. Yeah. Sign me up for the system. Well, it, well, it's like what Hein, I guess Paul Heineck was talking to us about the fact that there's even a group of scientists who are, because the DMT experience seems so uniform in a way right. uh, that they think they can map the space where the experience exists. Yeah. You know, they, no, they, they think like they have the, enough data. They have enough data points from people that they think they can create, basically draw a map. Yeah. Of it, wow. Of the landscape. They're all meeting. exciting time. They're like, all yeah, the old, old curse. Like may you live in interesting times. We live yeah. in the most interesting times ever. I know. I warn. I warn my kids. It's like, hang on. It's going to be <laughs> and, interesting. And, and for yeah. me, it's like, all of my, all of my, my, all the atheist beliefs that I was so content with are all crumbling around me. Yeah. You know, no. I still don't, I still don't think there's a, a God or a religion behind it all, but, it, but clearly there's, it seems like there's a really good chance that death isn't death and that there is something similar to God's functioning around us all the time. Yeah. It's getting well, funky. One thing you know, that so, a lot of those people with the uh, near death experiences say is that they, First, that they feel like an overwhelming sense of love and, and mm -hmm. the best they've ever felt. And it's like a thousand percent upgrade and that they don't want to go back. Like, and that they're always deeply disappointed. And some people who have to go back are like, fuck, like never like, get over it because it was yeah. so awesome for a few seconds. Uh, uh, but, uh, and also like learn to not talk about that. People don't want to hear about your near death experience or how you went to some beautiful place and felt total love and it was fantastic. But then you like, that's not stuff you want to share at the water cooler. Cause it's bringing everybody down. It's Wednesday. They don't. <laughs> yeah. Or your abduction experience. Yes. Yeah. Or your, uh, but um, yeah, uh, I like it. It's like, if you're English 
And then for one shining moment, you get to be Italian. Uh, <laughs> and then, yes. Uh, and then you got to go back to being English. To being part of the British Empire again. Mm. Uh, perfect no. perfect analogy. It, um, uh, but no, I'm fascinated by all of it. I, it's so exciting to see science and scientists, maybe because now they have permission, sort of, to start take tentative well, steps into uh, all these things that used to be the realm of the Ghostbusters, right? It was just... Yeah. Yeah. The paranormal and the yeah, science no. and parapsychology, like not yeah. uh, uh, not taken uh, not taken seriously by science until 2024. We had to wait for this crazy science fiction year to roll around, uh, yeah. and science finally starts to take it seriously uh, when science fiction writers were already taking it. I know, right? yeah, and it's kicked yeah, into another gear. Yeah, and well, all of these worlds are colliding and overlapping and interweaving and. Um, and, and and you guys are one of the few people, there's just a handful of people, maybe 20 in the whole world who are focusing on this. And very few people in the entertainment industry or Hollywood who have the like chutzpah uh, and the, you know, uh, individuality to like, I don't care what the rest of you believe or who the rest of you guys can't wrap your head around it. Uh, but, you know, I'm paying attention and I'm taking it seriously. And you guys are two of those people. I'm so grateful for for you, you, you two, and uh, Bryce and uh, Ross and George and Jeremy, you're like my three news outlets. Yeah, uh, is uh, you guys. You know, so. you know who else is really is really serious about it too is uh, Michael Ian Black from. Uh, oh the yeah, State. I, uh, yeah, I saw him yeah. uh, uh, speaking up too. But that's again, yeah. what, how many people? Like you can count them on one hand. Yeah. And I'm sure the rest of the state guys think he's crazy, just like the rest of the kids in the hall think I'm crazy. Oh, man, it just breaks my heart that you're the only one, Dave, that uh, 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 I would kill for a kids, just the kids only uh, UFO paranormal. Yeah, we're going to get them all on. I can't handle it. I can't handle it. Scott Thompson believes in it. Yeah. Oh, Scott. Yeah. But yeah, but but he he believes it's all here just for him. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But. But I think I actually think there's a fairly good chance that Scott might have had an abduction experience when he was, uh, really? uh, you know, in adolescent, early adolescence. Wow. He was in a I'm school shooting sure. too. Scott, huh? Scott, he was in a school shooting too, right? He was, yeah, yeah, one of the first yeah. big ones, yeah, in, in uh, yeah, in uh, Brampton. Yeah, Scott's yeah. seen and, some things. Yeah, no, and he had a weird, he had a weird encounter that involved like. Uh, that I kept telling them, said, "Well, you know, those what you're describing are common screen screen experiences for abductees." And he's like, you know, like encountering like talking animals and wow, you know, and these entities in the woods, you know. I oh my god! This. Now I gotta, yeah, I gotta I love to hear this. I hope you can get him on, Scott. Yeah. You're watching, man. I would love to hear those stories. That's amazing. Yeah. He has nothing to fear. That guy's fearless. No, no, no. Yeah. He doesn't. Well, no, he's certainly not worried about ridicule. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he's the man. He, well, he wouldn't be a kid in the hall if he was worried about ridicule, because ninety percent of our time is spent ridiculing him. Yeah, um, but it didn't matter, man. Buddy Coyle, those Buddy Coyle monologues, like groundbreaking. That guy, you know, mm-hmm. just uh, I, I got. You guys are here in my DVD collection. I got, I got kids. There we go. Oh, there we go. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, I still put those on. That's like my comfort viewing. I tried when Dave and I were hanging out. I tried not to geek out on him too much, but uh, uh, I, I <laughs> and, vi- and vice versa. And I vice try to keep it together myself. Um, but <laughs> I, Ernie, listen, you, let's keep this conversation going. Yes, this I, I learned a ton. Uh, and yeah. and I, mutual hats off to you and like yeah. research and the work that you're doing and the stories you're telling. What's what's next? What's coming out next? Or what do you like? 
Well, I have a children's, my first uh, middle grade fiction uh, book, which is like a covert subterfuge way for me to talk about UFOs. Uh, But it's uh, coming out uh, in about a month, uh, April 4th, or excuse me, April 8th, the same day as the eclipse. We're having an eclipse down here in Austin. If you guys want to come down. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but it's called Bridge to Bat City and it's a middle grade fiction. It's kind of I, I grew up loving Roald Dahl and uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox and James the Giant Peach. Oh, yeah. And it's the, that kind of thing. But it's about the bats here in Austin. We have the largest urban bat colony in the world here in Austin living under a bridge down by the state capitol. And uh, so it's like a, a, a children's story uh, based on that. You should come down. You guys should come down, see so the eclipse, cool. see the bats. Uh, I love it. Yeah, that would be fun. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. Right Ernest on. Klein, sir. This was awesome. Thank this you so much. Fun. Thank you guys. Let's do it Thanks. again soon. And uh, we really, really appreciate it. And um, yeah, right man, on. can't wait to do this again. Right on. Yeah. I'm around. Give me a shout. All right. Great. Thanks, Ernie, so much. Thanks. Thank Good you to guys. see you. Thanks, Ernie.